When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Duke fans, welcome to episode 577 of the DBR podcast, the Duke Basketball Roundup. We are here on a fine Wednesday morning, a little after 9 a.m. East Coast time. I am Jason Evans, back from my adventure in the uh, in the, the Rocky Mountains. Um, Donald Wine is with me. Donald, how are you doing this morning? Jason, uh, I'm, I'm kind of upset. I woke up this morning. I know it's kind of it's not super early in the morning, but it's it's morning time where we are in. I don't have any champagne. I feel like I want a mimosa this morning. I don't know why. <laughs> little orange juice in that champagne, huh? Oh, orange. That's probably why. Yeah, that's orange. what it is. Yeah. On the brain. orange juice. Because the Blue Devils last night took care of business against the Syracuse Orange. Orange men. Orange. They're not orange men anymore. They're just the they're orange. Orange. Yeah, they're just orange. They're just orange. They're just a color. Hey, dude, in your mid-50s, you forget you forget the new stuff. You remember the old stuff. Yeah, they, they've been they've been orange for a while. Um, I know. Just color. I still think that they're the orange men, though. I can't help it. I don't know. Whatever. In any event, Duke takes care of Syracuse, eighty six to sixty six. It was a very very interesting game because, you know, just a two point game at the half, and then, boy, Blue Devils had a pretty good shooting shooting night in the, in the second half of this. Jason, of- it was. It, I mean, wow. it was a tale of two halves. In many regards, and I know we're going to talk about a lot of them. There's going to be a lot of good and bad that involve the same things involving the same players, um, because it was a tale of two halves for a lot of different aspects of this game. Yes, uh, let's start, Donald, with uh, as we always do with the uh, the headlines that we got from the listeners. Boy, the 
the inbox, the DBR podcast at gmail.com inbox was blowing up last night. Uh, lots of puns, lots of jokes about oranges. <laughs> yes. So give me, give me your best ones, man. And, and we got a ton of them. Thank you to everybody who submitted them. I'm sorry if yours uh, does not make the cut here, but there's a lot of allusions to oranges and, and juices and stuff like that. So I'm just going to give you some of the best that I saw out of this bunch. Nick King. Nick King wrote in. He said, McCain and Mitchell manhandle the Mandarins in 20-point win. Again, Loved that one. Loved that Loved one. that one. That was terrific. Alliteration, and you used a different form of orange. Love it. Love it. Norris David uh, said, orange squeezed. McCain manicured Duke's three ball in the second half. An alliteration, or I guess a, a, a look at what they were talking about on the broadcast last night, yeah, the mainly fingernails. McCain's fingernails. Um, <laughs> Keith Crabtree. This one just came in this morning, uh, Jason. Keith Crabtree wrote, Eminem. Wait, I love this McCain one. Kanan Mitchell it, has a new flavor, orange. Perfect. This is great. I, I, I don't really like Eminem's, but if they had an orange Eminem, I would try it, especially this morning, maybe with that mimosa that I'm missing. Uh, Chris Emershine uh, wrote, Mark my words. Devil's defense drives offense over orange. Squish. Lee Maxson wrote, very simply, this cuse wasn't worth the squeeze. And Jamie Keffer, again, another one that just came in just this morning, Jason. Love this one. Slash and rain. McKay, uh, Mitchell and McCain create the perfect storm to wash the orangeman out of Cameron. So I like those. Uh, and again, they they reference the old logo, or I guess the old uh, mascot uh, for Syracuse in doing so. Because, Jason, I, I want to start this game by saying I, there's a lot of things that are new under this uh, regime with Autry. The jerseys. Have gone back to the old retro like Syracuse jerseys that we've been used to in their late in you know the early nineties yeah, yeah. and, and very very cool. I thought they looked great last night. Hey, hey uh, one uh, well actually two other little headline things I want to point out. Uh, Josh Levinson, um, I really like this. It, it's long. This is too long for a headline, but but I like the way he put it together. He said Mitchell squeezes the orange in the first, Flip and McCain drink it in the second. And Duke downs Syracuse with a juicy display of teamwork. Again, too long, but that summed up the game pretty nicely. It was a tale mm -hmm. of two different halves, as you mentioned earlier. Mark Mitchell helping us out in the first half. And then, man, the second half, McCain, Flip, Proctor, Roach, you name it. These guys were, were having their own way in the second half. Let's, let's, Donald, let's go ahead and get to the good. And I wanted to start in the good with this. And I'm going to bring up Matt Newell Ching, who wrote to us. And Matt has written to us a couple times about the the DBR bounce that that comes when McCain. when we interviewed the parents of Jared McCain. His game has taken off since then, <laughs> and people are referring to it as the DBR bounce. I don't know that we get all the credit, but we get a little tiny bit of it. And on the last podcast, Donald, we talked about Mark Mitchell and his parents, his father specifically. We did not. Let's be clear: we did not interview his father. But apparently the DBR bounce extends to talking about the parents uh, because Matt Newell Ching pointed out that both McCain and Mitchell, uh, the DBR bounce was in full effect for both those guys. Mark Mitchell, and this is how we're starting the good, Mark Mitchell's first half was his best half of basketball, period, end of story, his entire career. There's no question about it. Incredibly aggressive from Mark, using his athleticism and quickness much more than we usually see it. He kept us in the game when we were not ourselves. And by the way, I'm going to have a little bit more on that later. Um, but his stats, they just jump off the page. And it's not just the points. I'm sure you'll mention the points. But he was 7 of 8 on two-point field goals in this game. 
He had six rebounds. He had three assists. He had two blocks. And here's a great one for you. Mark Mitchell drew seven fouls and committed zero fouls. Mm-hmm. That is the that is the Mark Mitchell that, you know, he's great on defense without fouling. He is getting in there and being aggressive and getting fouled. His aggression was the best I've ever seen it from him. And that first half, what, Donald, we would not, I'm telling you right now, we would not be talking about a Duke victory without what Mark Mitchell did in the first half because this team would have been down big time at halftime without Mark Mitchell. And I don't know that they would have had it in them to come back and have as good a second half if they were down a lot as opposed to being, you know, basically tied up two points thanks to Mark Mitchell. I want to start off with this when we talk about Mark Mitchell this morning, uh, literally just before we started recording, my best friend, uh, Jeff, he sent this tweet from Connor O'Neill. Connor O'Neill writes for uh, Devils Illustrated. He's a beat writer, uh, one of the beat writers uh, there for Duke basketball and Wake basketball. And he asked Mark Mitchell last night about the tweet over the weekend. And his and Mark Mitchell said, nah, they ain't got nothing to do with me, man. I'm good. I love Duke and I'm grateful. He clearly read the tweet because he came out inspired on on uh, last yeah. night. And it, and it wasn't like, a, you know, I, you could take whatever. I mean, I think the tweet we can kind of leave in the past now at this point. But it clearly he had something to prove. And he knew that he was the subject of a lot of people talking about him and his game over the weekend. And he wanted to come out and, and show that, hey, I can lead this team. And we've talked about how many guys that we have that can at a moment's notice turn it on and put in the points and really lead this team to victory. And Jason, this year, we really haven't talked about Mark Mitchell being that guy. He was the guy that paced our team in the first half. When when you mentioned when a lot of things were not going right or didn't feel, felt off about this team, Mark Mitchell felt off in a positive way because he came out electric. He, he was aggressive. He went to the basket. He kept getting his, uh, he kept getting his, his points. He was making his free throws. Like you mentioned, he was contributing on defense. He was bringing that energy during the game. They mentioned um, it, it was a uh, Dave O'Brien and, and Jay Williams were on the call and they were talking about Mark Mitchell. They're like, I guess John Shire had said that he is going to be not a three and D guy. He's going to be the energy guy. And that's what we got from him. We got a lot of energy when we needed it to keep us in the game. Of course, in the second half, a lot of other people stepped up and contributed but to have 18 points and leave all scores in the first half, that is not something we thought we would hear with Mark Mitchell attached to it. There's so many guys on this team that we we thought were capable of doing that. Mark Mitchell was not that guy that we thought would be the one pacing with 18 points in the first half. He didn't make a three, but no one did in the first half, so that's fine. But he was able to understand that, hey, I can make get these points. I can help my team by doing the things I do best, going to the basket, being athletic, being aggressive, and being energetic. And he did all that, and it really helped our team get through the funk of the first half and really carry us into the second half. Because, again, that energy didn't stop. He may have only had, what, three or four points in, this, in the second half, but that energy was still still present. And it was present on defense, and the defense in the second half, led by Mark Mitchell, is what helped us kind of go in that run and start to pull away and never look back. Yeah, and by the way, uh, one a final note about Mark Mitchell, at least from me, I, I love the way he was cutting to the basket. I just, you saw a guy out there who was intent on being a bigger part of the offense than he generally is. Look, we all talk about the, you know, Duke's impressive record when Mark Mitchell scores 10 or more points. Duke is almost unbeatable when Mark Mitchell scores 10 or more points. 
and yet Duke doesn't have an almost un, unbeaten record because Mark Mitchell doesn't score 10 points super often. Uh, the Mark Mitchell we saw last night was intent on getting into double digits. And I'm not saying he was doing it for himself. I'm saying he was intent on getting into double digits because the dude was just going to the hoop relentlessly and his teammates were finding him when they couldn't find anything else. And I, I loved seeing that out of him. It, it was, it was really, really impressive. And it was a, a, you know, at least a slight difference from the Mitchell we've seen up until now. You, you mentioned him going to the basket and kind of slashing through the lane, particularly on that backside. The ball was on one side of the court. He yeah. was on the other side of the court on the wing and would slash in that way to kind of present another option, especially when Flip uh, went out and we had a lot of issues with bigs and foul trouble. It was it opened up the lane a little bit more for him, and he kind of used that to his advantage. In the second half, um, this, is not a, this is not the play of the game, but it was up to that point. There was a point where Flip catches the ball on the inside, and he, you know, kind of has to go out of his out of the post to grab the entry pass, and he's kind of going towards the baseline. And all of a sudden, Mark Mitchell sees, "Hey, Flip has taken his man out of the lane. That means the lane is open." So he bum rushes the lane. Flip finds him. He catches the ball, and there's a defender right in front of Mark uh, Mark Mitchell. He kind of just does a, a pirouette spin move. And then all of a sudden he's open for a, for a wide open dunk. It, it was an incredible play, but it's also great recognition by Mark Mitchell. Again, that confidence that was there that we've seen him, you know, taking all these three pointers, that confidence was there in all facets of his game. And that was something where he saw, Hey, this lane is open. I can get there. I can beat my man off the, to the block and grab this ball. And if I get this ball before him, my deep my, the defender's in trouble, and that's exactly what happened in that play. He did that constantly throughout the game, recognizing the open space, getting to it, and most importantly, Jason, we talked about some of his struggles finishing inside of five feet. He was finishing his, his plays last night. Yeah, uh, dude, by the way, that that was I have three nominees for play of the game, and I haven't decided which one was going to be it. That was one of my nominees. I think you just knocked mm -hmm. it out of the running. How dare you? <laughs> it was mine until it was mine until it wasn't. Like I said, we'll we'll, we'll talk about the one I think is the play of the game later on. That was that was a heck of a play. All right, uh, let let's get to the next thing in the good, and, and I'll let you lead it off. Go, go ahead. What what you got for me? Uh, what what's your pick for the next good good thing from this contest? Jerry McCain in the second half. You know, if you can't talk about you can't talk about the yin without the yang, and and in this game it felt like it was Mark Mitchell in the first half, Jerry McCain in the second half. Jerry McCain, we, we talked about you know the fact that Duke did not sh shoot well in the first half. They did not make a three. They were 0 for 9 from three. And in these games, to start off, the one guy that we've known that's kind of come through to kind of set the tone early from beyond the arc has been Jared McCain. He usually hits an early three. That didn't happen in this game. But early in the second half, he kept shooting. In, in the early in the second half, maybe not even a minute into the second half, he hit a three. And at, at once that happened, you kind of felt, man, the doors are come, about to open and here we go. And I think he went four for four in the second half from three. He was just all over the place. And his form is so pure. There was multiple people who texted me last night saying that his form and the way that he gets to places to be able to shoot and how he, it feels like his form is perfect every single time, even if it goes in or not, it reminds them of JJ Redick when he was at Duke. And, and I, I, I like those comparisons. Look, he's, He's not trying to shoot the ball from the bus like J.J. Redick used to because uh, J.J. could do that and it would go in. But every time he catches the ball, one, he's in perfect form to catch the ball. He's in perfect 
opportunity to get his shot off quickly, which he had to do a few times as guys were closing down on him. And it looks perfect every single time. His form is the same every single time. That's from all those practices that the, the McCain family would would sit there with, you know, with him after practice, shooting the ball around, making sure he got his shots in. That sort of, you know, practice leads to the confidence that he had to continue shooting and making those. And when he did, it was such a boost to the rest of the team. Once he started calming down, it felt like the rest of the team calmed down. And we had four guys in double figures in the second half. But Jeremy McCain was the catalyst of that by, you know, shooting well early and also his defense. He had a couple of great steals. He had a couple of great defensive uh, outputs on, on that end that led to offense on the, on, on the end for Duke. Yeah, let, let's talk very quickly about that second half offense because it was truly impressive. Duke got 51 points in the second half against a good defensive team. Donald, we spent a lot of time on the preview talking about the Syracuse defense, and Duke came out and scored 51 on them in the second half. Duke hit 75% of our shots. You mentioned four guys in double figures, McCain, 14. Roach and Filipowski each had 12. Tyrese Proctor had 10. Duke out-rebounded Syracuse 13-6 to in the second half. Part of that is the fact that Duke wasn't missing any shots, so Syracuse didn't have many chances for rebounds. When you hit 75% of your shots, the other team is not going to get many rebounds. That's just a fact of life. Duke only committed three fouls in the second half. Did you know that? We committed 10 in the first half, only three in the second half. Duke had six steals in the second half. And then, Donald, here's the number. Uh, I just gave a bunch of stats. I'm starting to think, that the most important statistic for this Duke team to know whether they're playing well is their assist rate. I, I mm -hmm. you know, you, you're the guy, you, you usually are all over this stat. In the second half, Duke had 12 assists on 18 made baskets. That's a 67% assist rate for those of you who can't do the math. <laughs> Two out of three. And 19 total, 19 on 31 made baskets total. Yeah. That's, I mean, that, that's the ball movement that was it was it felt like it was present in the first half. And we'll talk about this a little bit later. But the first half, it felt like they had to work for everything they got. Right. And Mark yeah. Mitchell was in the second half. Everything we talk about making the game easier on yourself. The second half was it just felt so easy because, again, everyone was in the right position. And once the shots went down, people that it felt like everyone on the court said, hey, we can pass the ball around because whoever gets the ball and makes this final shot is going to be in the easy spot. And now we have see now we've seen the ball go through the hoop. All of this feels like water. Like that's what it felt like. No, no matter what, no matter who had the ball, everybody was able to calm down and be confident and get the ball into a good position. And we made easy baskets as a result. Yeah. And the last thing I want in terms of, you know, the second half and just talking about the you know guys who played really well in that second half. I did want to specifically shout out Kyle Filipowski, who you know we can talk a little bit about what happened in the first half with him, which was not very good, but he was unbelievable in the second half. Played all twenty minutes the entire second half. Did not come out for a single second. And I'll tell you something that impressed me. Obviously, he was putting moves on guys. He was five of five from the floor in the second half. Uh, he was you know moving the ball around, getting some assists. I was impressed with his rebounding. And it wasn't necessarily his rebounding numbers. You know, his rebounding numbers are okay. But I just saw Kyle rebounding out of his area, you know, really going hard after balls that in theory were 50-50 balls or, or or even balls where it wasn't 50-50 for him. Like he maybe had a 30% chance of getting the rebound. He got it anyway. <clears throat> I just saw him reaching around and getting balls that weren't, again, in his area, which is what a great rebounder does. And I'm not sure Kyle is a great rebounder yet. 
But what I saw from him, again, especially in the second half, was a guy who's getting there. You know, also his passing. He's not getting, I mean, he only had three assists last night, but he had the hockey assists on yeah. so many other yeah. plays, right? Like uh, I, in soccer, we have the MLS assists where they count it, but everyone else doesn't. It's the, it's the pass before the pass that leads to the shot. But he was able to find so many open guys and, again, kind of get this ball movement starting by him finding an open man having the defense collapse on them. And that person passed it off to somebody who had an easier bucket. I, I, that's the vision that you kind of want to kind of, you know, everyone talks about how LeBron plays three or four moves ahead uh, of the offense, like, right, like a right. chess game. Um, that's kind of how sometimes this works. And when stuff isn't coming easy, sometimes you have to understand, Hey, if I give the ball to this guy, it's going to lead to a basket. I'm not going to get credit for it, but that's the selfless teamwork that some of our, you know, some of our listeners alluded to in their headlines, but it was, he was the catalyst of making sure, Hey, I don't need to get the points. I don't need to get the rebounds. I don't need to get the assists. Let's just make the play as a team. And everyone fed into that. And I think that's why the second half felt so much more fun than the first half. Yeah. And by the way, one other thing I wanted to point out about the uh, second half versus the first half, I looked at the shot chart of, of the two halves in the first half. Duke had five different shots that they took outside the lane, but not at the three-point line, which, you know, I, I hate those shots. The The mid-range game, I know some guys are good at it. I know, look, there are plenty of NBA guys who make a living in that mid-range game. I'm not saying it can't be done, but but the degree of difficulty there is higher than it is on a lot of other shots. And in the second, in the first half, Duke had five shots they took outside the lane, and not at the three-point line, and they made exactly zero of those shots. In the second half, we didn't even attempt one of those. All we took in the second half were shots outside of three or in the lane. And by the way, in the first half, some of the shots that we took that were in the lane were like long distance in the lane. They were contested shots, you know, from about eight feet or so. Caleb Foster had a few of those that I was just like, the second he went up with it, <clears throat> he was he was well-guarded, really contested, and I was like, that's it's probably not going. And it didn't go in. Um, I, our shot selection in the second half was just light years beyond where it was in the first half. In the paint, it felt like in the second half, the furthest shot that was taken was those like Kyle Filipowski, like kind of half fadeaways where he kind of would get into the lane, get to a spot. Yeah. Beat like the restricted circle, which was about four feet away. And he just kind of, you know, the, the defense wasn't letting him go to the basket. So we just kind of, you know like very quickly just kind of did a, like a quick fade and just enough to get his shot off. Uh, and and right, he, I think he made all of those. Yes, uh, he did. He, and he would, he would go up from five and he would land at eight. <laughs> yeah, I don't even think it's eight. It was like, he jumped from five and landed six and a half. Like it was, it was a very slight fade. You knew he was fading because his, his, you know, his body was angled back away from the basket, but it was just enough to get that shot off. I think there was another play where Tyrese Proctor did the same thing, but he, again, he got into about, six feet and try to go to the basket. The defense didn't present him with that option. So we just kind of, you know, arch, arched his back a little bit just so we can get the shot in the air. And it was water. It, again, when those start going down, not only does it help your team build confidence, the other team is demoralized because that's like, Hey, I did a great defensive job and they're still making all these shots. It, when the team goes 75%, there are some times and it, you know, where you feel like, Oh, I, you know, I did good defense on that play. They just made the shot it didn't feel like that way in the second half. We were making a lot of great shots and we were, again, we were finding ways for it to be easy. And that's when it's easy, 
you're going to make three quarters of your baskets. Yeah. One of those shots by flip, the, the announcer, uh, the, the play-by-play guy said, good defense, better offense. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's yep. exactly what we saw a lot in that second half. Hey, I want to point out something really quick before I come back to you to talk a little about the three-point shooting in this game. But I thought I really liked Duke's pace of play. Um, we kept pushing every chance we could get, and it resulted in several three-point shots in transition. Duke won fast break points in this game, 21 to nine. We won points off turnover, 26 to 11. I mean, look, you're, you know, any game you win by 20 points, all these kind of stats are probably going to tilt your way. But I thought those were two really important ones. And I, I really liked the way Duke just keeps on pushing the pace in these games. We're not going to let teams slow us down at all on offense. And any chance we get, any rebound, any turnover, heck, even a made basket by the opposition, we are getting the ball in to our guards as quickly as we can. And Foster and Proctor and Roach and McCain are pushing, 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 because that is a way to get better shots. Yeah, the the way that they were able to get out, and we, we saw this against Queens, we got a lot of fast break points because they were able to push the issue. Uh, and, that, and that helped because the tempo in that game was faster than this game. We talked about how the tempo in this game would be a little bit more up-tempo than we've seen in previous Syracuse games because of the change to the man-to-man zone. But I think the pace, they kind of pushed the issue in the second half. They 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 kind of took it upon themselves to, as a team, be more aggressive at getting to the basket and getting the ball down the floor. And it resulted in Syracuse kind of being caught napping on, on a few of these plays. And on the other ones, we were able to settle into the offense and, again, make a great shot. All right, Donald, talk to me about the three-point shooting. I know you wanted to get into that. Well, let's talk about it in the second half. Uh, because the second half, we were perfect. Perfect, as I was saying, Street Fighter. Eight for eight. And I know we'll talk about the first half shooting, which was not perfect. Uh, in fact, it was not good at all. But in the second half, again, Jerry McCain makes that first one early in the second half. And it's 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 even on the angle of the TV. So as soon as you the ball went in the air, you're like, that's going in. It's that, that's going in. That Everyone's going to calm down a little bit. And sure enough, they did. Everyone, it felt like, was able to hit threes. There were not any, I didn't really count any threes where there was a guy within five feet of them, right? Like we passed into a situation where Jeremy Kane's open for open and there may be a guy closing out, but it's too late. He's already released the shot. Tyrese Proctor had one. Nobody within 10 feet of him. Jer, uh, Jeremy Roach, I think, had a couple. Nobody within 10 feet of him. And yeah. it was just, we passed into those areas where we passed into a situation where they're like, yo, we just get, uh, sorry guys, got to take it. Ain't nobody around me. And we're going to make un- uncontested, you know, nine times out of 10. And in this case, it was eight times out of eight. So I really like the fact that we were able to move the ball around and get into those positions where the thing that was presented with us was a wide open three pointer and we were knocking down. That's what fueled our run c- coupled with our defense. And speaking of defense, Jason, in the first half, you know, our because our bigs were out, our rebounding was atrocious. In the second half, we out rebounded. Syracuse 13 to six. I say that to say, because when you make 75% of your shots, there's not a lot of opportunities for rebounds. Syracuse made 54% of their shots in the second half. So there wasn't a lot of opportunities for rebounds, but as you mentioned, there was a lot of guys going outside of their comfort zone, outside of their area to retrieve the basketball. When, when it, in the few instances it did clang off the rim and those hustle plays were what led to points to the other end. I feel like every single time we got a hustle rebound where we had to run to get it, it led to a three-pointer or at least a foul uh, where we were sinking free throws at the other end. 
that's how you demoralize a team. That's how you take them out of your game. And that's how you build a lead from what was about two points to three points to 20. All right. So the last thing I have in the good before we take a break, Jalen Blakes. Jalen Blakes played 14 minutes in this contest. And he had three steals, two assists, one block. He drew a charge. Most importantly, though, he was on Judah Mintz most of the time that he was in the game. And Duke forced Judah Mintz into a 5-for-14 day. Mintz got to the free throw line a ton. I mean, that's what Judah Mintz does. Man, he's going to get to the free throw line on you because he takes he, – he puts you in a bad position and you're just forced to foul him. That's that's what Judah Mintz's game is. But for us to force him into a 5-for-14 he committed five turnovers, and he never really took over the game the way he sometimes does. And like I said, it was Tyrese Proctor. It was Caleb Foster. Jared uh, Jeremy Roach was on him a little bit, but a lot of it was Jalen Blakes on Judah Mintz. And I just thought Jalen Blakes continues to be this guy who you know, doesn't play huge minutes, but when he gets in the game, you notice him every time he's in there. He's a guy who recognizes his own limitations. There were a couple times he was sort of open around the three-point line. He was like, "No, nah, I'm not. Yeah, this is not for me. <laughs> this is not my game. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a pest. I'm gonna make life difficult for you on the other end of the floor. I'm gonna facilitate for guys while I'm on this end of the floor. I'm gonna bring energy every second I'm in the game. And I just, I, I, I have to, I have to mention what Jalen Blake brings to the floor every time out. He, he's in the rotation. He's never leaving the rotation, and I don't want him out of the rotation. He That, that dude, he can play on my team any day. 14 and a half minutes plus 13 on the night, which yeah. tells you, yeah. which wow. tells you what, what, <laughs> what the game was like when he was in the game, like you said, with his defense. But Jason, also, the thing about Judah Mintz is they kept mentioning on the broadcast last night that he is, uh, I think Jay will call him the best tough shot maker in the ACC, right? Like, he's making those shots that, like, you know, he's falling away from the basket. He throws it up with one arm and it goes in. And they're like, you're just like, what do you like? What do you do about that? Yeah. Right? Yeah. He didn't. He had a few of those last night where they were able to make this distinction of him. But it wasn't often. But I think the one thing that Jalen Blakes did the best at, it wasn't necessarily limiting Judah Mintz. Because like you said, Judah Mintz got 18 points. He went to the line, I think, nine times, made eight of them. He made his living at the free throw line by drawing some of these fouls. The one thing that. Jalen Blakes was really good at doing is when Judah Mintz was in trouble where he couldn't throw up some garbage shot to go in. He made sure JJ Starling didn't get the ball. And we've talked about in the preview how usually when Syracuse loses either Judah Mintz or JJ Starling, or sometimes both have a terrible game. JJ Starling only had nine points and it felt like every single time Judah Mintz was in trouble with the ball around Jalen Blakes, Jalen Blakes knew that the one guy that he was trying to find that could come get the ball from him was J.J. Starling. J.J. Starling rarely got the ball in those situations. He had to give it up to somebody else. Now we had, a, you know, Syracuse had a couple of guys on first half who who went off a little bit towards the end. But it was because the one guy, he said, hey, if Judah Mintz ain't going to beat us, it also is not going to be J.J. Starling, at least on my watch. So he was able to deny J.J. Starling the ball and be able to make them have to, you know, scramble and, and improvise with their offense, which led to a lot of miss, you know, missed shots. And again, that's how you get a plus 13 is you, you recognize those sort of things. And even when your guy that you're going, that you're guarding is getting his points, you're making sure that he's the only one getting his points. And that's what happened last night. Yeah. By the way, the guy who almost tried to beat us, who is, you know, sort of not in the scouting report was Malik Brown. Mm -hmm. <laughs> dude, dude went for 26 points. I checked 
his previous career high was 18. He he was way, way better in this game than he has ever been in his career. Um, and and but Duke survived. So it was okay. Yeah, you chalk, I mean, it's a great game for him. Like you, you can't yeah. you can't do anything but tip your hat because he did his thing. It just wasn't enough. Yeah, exactly. All right. We're gonna take a quick break on the other side. Look, Duke struggled at times in this game. This was this was not the most aesthetically pleasing contest from the Blue Devils, especially in the first half. We'll get to the bad after this quick commercial break. This episode of the Duke Basketball Roundup is sponsored by BetterHelp. Springtime is the season that's supposed to feel like a new beginning. We have better weather, and it feels like everyone gains a boost of energy. However, for many, leaving winter behind doesn't always mean that their mood lightens up with the extra sunlight. We all carry around stress, and that stress can build as more events get added to your calendar. That's certainly true, Donald. And with the amount of social gatherings increasing with the improving weather and more daylight, there's more pressure to be on when you're interacting with family, friends, coworkers, even strangers, even when stress has you a little bit down. And for some, getting advice from a therapist can help you tackle some of that stress without affecting you or the people you care about. That's what BetterHelp is all about. It's entirely online, and it's designed to be therapy that's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a professional licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists anytime you want. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and find your social sweet spot. Visit betterhelp.com slash Duke Roundup today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Duke Roundup. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. We are back from the break, Donald. 
time to uh, talk about the bad stuff, stuff that didn't work for the Blue Devils. I'm going to start with this. The big men in the first half, Kyle Filipowski, Sean Stewart, Ryan Young. Woo! I'm not sure. I was in Atlanta, about five and a half hour drive from Durham. I could smell something going on, <laughs> and it was not pleasant. In that first half, those those three guys, our three big men, combined to get zero points and seven fouls. Ugh. Sean Stewart and Ryan Young both missed easy shots that they need to make. They, by the way, neither of those guys played at all in the second half because, as we mentioned, Flip paid every second. Flip played every second of the second half. Our bigs have got to be better than they were against a team like Syracuse. Syracuse has some decent size, but you know we we, we mostly talk about JJ Starling and Judah Mintz. Syracuse is a team that's pretty much dominated by its guards, and for our big men to to throw a a donut a goose egg in the first half. That, that was a problem. That's that's the reason it was a close game at halftime. Yeah, and it led to a lot of things. I, I should mention, you know, the foul, the foul trouble bug that Flip has been having last few games has spread, right? It, it's, 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 not the, it's not the bug we want spreading throughout a team is foul trouble because it wasn't just those three. Jeremy Roach also had two fouls in the first half. As you mentioned earlier, we had 10 fouls drawn against us in the first half. So it, it's... It, the foul trouble bug on the amongst the big men led to a lot of things. Notably, Syracuse was still in it at the half because they were able to grind us down in in the interior because we didn't have you know a lot of big men to throw at them anymore. Out we were out rebounded twenty five to seventeen in the first half, and like I said, we leveled that out in the in the second half um, just by not missing. But it was the team had to overcome playing small against a team that, as we mentioned, isn't the biggest team in college basketball, but they ain't small. They're a team that that has some size and are able to grind it down, and that's what they were able to do. You mentioned Lee Brown. They were able to get into the lane. Judah Mintz was able to get into the lane and, and get their points that way and keep this game close. Thank God for Mark Mitchell, right, in the first half, being that guy that had to kind of cover the inside and, and on defense and be the guy on offense to kind of slash to the basket and get points. But we can't have foul trouble amongst a bunch of people. Yes, Flip is super important, and, and we've talked about his first-half struggles related to foul trouble. But that can't extend to Sean Stewart. It cannot extend to Ryan Young. Jeremy Roach has got to be better. Uh, you know, Jeremy Roach had a, had a difficult first half because of the fact that he had two fouls. We we can't let fouls dictate the pace and play of our guys on the in the game. We just can't. And that's the bug that we need to get rid of immediately. Cause if they know that we can just float, you know, you know, falter like that, and we're going to get, you know, kind of tricked into some of these stupid fouls, teams are going to go after us and try to do that every single time. We can't have flip out of the game. We can't have them only playing what seven minutes in the first half and not scoring any points. We need to establish them early and often. And we need to make sure that he stays on the court because we are a much better team when Kyle Filipowski is on the court. You know, I talked about the shot chart and it it wasn't just sort of where Duke was taking shots. That was a problem in the first half. It was that Duke was just doing too much one-on-one trying to get shots. There was one possession where Caleb Foster had the ball and just dribbled the entire possession, like never made a pass to anybody and ended up taking his own shot. It was not, that was, that was really bad. There was just way too much one-on-one into the teeth of the Syracuse defense that Duke did in the first half. It, it 
we 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 looked like a team that wasn't prepared to play together. You know, the the Duke team that that usually passes the ball around. I mean, look, we've talked about assist rate. The Duke team that usually moves the ball around was not present in the in the first half. And and that's why, you know, that's one of the major reasons why we only had 33 points in the first half. We get 51 in the second half, but 33 in the first half was just, you know, a, a poor number for Duke. And and I also thought there was there was some real laziness occasionally. Like Duke was trying to make things too easy on itself. And as a result, we were lazy. Both Tyrese Proctor and Caleb Foster had like passes, not quite cross court, but they were sort of, you know, in the middle and they passed to the wing where, and a Syracuse guy was like standing right there. It was easy interceptions that turned into fast breaks for Syracuse. That happened a couple times. I was just like, what is going on there? I, I mean, some of the worst passes I've seen from a Duke team all year, the moment it left their hands, I was like, well, that's getting intercepted. Duke had 11 turnovers in this game. That's not a terrible number, but it could have been better. I mean, let's remember that this Duke team is one of the best ball handling teams, one of the top teams in the country at turnover percentage. So for most teams, 11 turnovers would be good. For this Duke team, I, I actually thought the 11 turnovers, there were some of them that were pretty bad. Yeah, it, I think the other thing that a lot of these uh, turnovers came from is one of the main uh, things I had an issue with, which was the shooting in the first half. We were 0 for 9 from 3 and, you know, had even people at halftime talking about the the lengthy record of games, consecutive games hitting a 3. Yeah, it's um, like 15 years or something like that. It's, it, it's longer than that. It's like yeah. it's like almost 1,200 and like 30 games or something like that. Right. But the in the rush to try and make a shot and to try and get one of those open looks that came so easily in the second half, we were forcing the ball in the places that it shouldn't go. We were make, not necessarily making bad decisions, but we were trying to press the issue too much. We're like, hey, we got to get a three. So let me throw it, you know, 30 feet across court to this guy who's in the corner who's guarded by two other guys. Wait, how did the other team end up with the ball? It's because we were trying to force ourselves into trying to get out of this drought. And instead of just letting things come naturally, moving the ball around like we are really good at doing. I, I think also because of that, Let's in the first half. I think we only had seven assists uh, in the first half. And so, again, we were trying to press the issue. We were trying to make something happen. And a lot of times, it's not like they took the ball from us, right? It's not like even, even in those positions, it wasn't like we got a ton of turnovers. It was just the fact that we were trying to force so much that it led to us feeling like everything we had to work super hard for. Even, even Mark Mitchell. Mark Mitchell felt like the only guy – whose baskets were coming easy. And they weren't coming easy for him too. He was just finishing and being aggressive. But so many times in the first half, because we were trying to force passes into positions where we think the guy should be or try to take contested shots because we thought that was within the flow of the offense, it felt like we had to work super hard. And we're not a good team when we do that. We calmed down the second half, but that first half, the foul trouble led to the rebounding, which led to the miss, you know, to forcing of the issue, which led to, you know, uncrisp passes, a little bit lazy defending, bad shots, no threes, all that kind of built up on itself. And I'm glad whatever whatever John Shire talked to him about at halftime, it calmed him down. I'm glad we were able to calm down in the second half and recover from it. Yeah, as we continue with the bad, I, I do want to mention something about our rebounding. Um, and and look, I I know that earlier we were talking about rebounding in the good, but we got to also talk about it in the bad because Syracuse is not a good defensive rebounding team. I talked about this on the preview that this was a game where I thought Duke 
probably could do very well on offensive rebounding, and we didn't. We only got five offensive rebounds. It's worth pointing out that two of those five offensive rebounds were what are known as team rebounds. It's like where a ball gets tipped out of bounds or something like that. Mm -hmm. So it's not a so it wasn't a live ball offensive rebound. It wasn't an offensive rebound where you got a chance to take it right back up and get a second chance point, or an offensive rebound where you got a chance to maybe kick it out to some guy for an open shot, open jumper, open three. Uh, you know those kind of team offensive rebounds. Sure, you get the ball back, but there it's not nearly the same kind of dangerous scoring position as on a usual offensive rebound. So really, Duke only had three. I guess you call them dangerous offensive rebounds. That is a really low number, and uh, overall, Duke's offensive rebounding rate was just sixteen point seven percent. Man, against a Syracuse team that is not good at rebounding, that's just not going to cut it. And I know part of the reason for that is that <laughs> Duke was so... We didn't have any bigs. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I was going to say Duke was so hot from the field that there weren't a lot of opportunities for offensive mm -hmm. rebounds. But at the same time, when there were opportunities, we didn't tend to get them. And if we're being honest, you know, in a game that the Duke scores more than 80 points, frankly, the offensive rebounding was pretty anemic. Yeah, and again, I think rebounding is one of those stats that we've been keeping track of so far this year, along with the assist rate. And it, like everything else this year has been inconsistent. I thought we, you know, we've rebounded well at times, especially in the offensive end. This wasn't one of them. I think, you know, it led to a lot of the things that we've been doing well because we get some of these rebounds, at least the second chance points. I think against Queens, we had, you know, double digit. I think we had 20 second chance points or something like that. Last night, we only had three. Um, so it, it's one of those you know things that still needs to be more consistent getting those offensive rebounds will lead to more baskets and lead to more opportunities to get baskets and it is also like we didn't get a lot of opportunities where we get the rebound like you said get the rebound oh we just missed the this three-pointer flip got the rebound goes straight back up gets fouled or goes to the goes to the uh goes to the rack and gets the bucket exactly. we didn't get a lot of those and because of those those also help momentum we just need to be more consistent trying to do that all right, my last thing in the bad, Donald. I hate to do it to him. I got to talk about TJ Power. I love the fact that John Shire is clearly trying to work TJ into the regular rotation more and more. Uh, like we're seeing TJ Power get minutes that are not like clearly, you know, the game is in control Garbage, kind yeah. of minutes. That he he's 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 part of the regular rotation. He's further back, you know. He's behind Jalen Blake's. He's behind Ryan Young. Um, but he's clearly in the rotation, and I like that. And and I like that, you know, you saw Duke play a little bit of zone when TJ Power came in the game because he's clearly still struggling a little bit on defense. And so Duke plays zone both to give the opposition a different look and also to to hide TJ a little bit. I also think the zone was effective at maybe protecting the middle from from the attacks of J.J. Starling and especially Judah Mintz. But it just looks to me like the game is still moving too fast for TJ Power. He, he is really having trouble figuring out weight. Look, this is a guy who we've talked about. He struggles on defense. This is a guy who's going to have to impact the, guy, the game on the offensive end of the floor. He was 0 of 3 last night. Uh, he took the ball inside for what looked like it was going to be a, a fairly easy shot in the lane and just got packed. <laughs> um, uh, you know, the Syracuse defense just got to him quicker than he could get off the shot. It, it, it feels to me like, it, look, TJ's clearly going to get there at some point. And this guy is a incredible outside shooter. As great as we're seeing Jared McCain and some of the and J um, Jeremy Roach, who are both having unbelievable seasons from three, I still think that if you had a, a three point shooting contest, TJ Power probably wins it on this team. But 
he's it, 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 game's moving. It's simple as that. Game's moving too fast for him, and he hasn't yet figured out how. He's not a great athlete. Like he's not a bad athlete, but he's not a great athlete, and he's got to figure out a way to sort of make up for his lack of quickness and uh, you know all those other kind of things that come with elite athleticism that maybe he doesn't quite have he's got to figure out a way to make up for those things and impact the game and i just thought you know once again like he comes in the game and i'm like i'm paying attention to tj i'm gonna watch and see is this gonna be one of those games where he's just gonna bomb away from three and and really impact the contest and he's he's just not getting there in most games especially against teams that are long and athletic he, he's struggling against them in a way that that is troublesome I think it it kind of expands to the fact that our bigs off the bench just weren't good last night. Um, you know, I think we had three what three guys that combined did not score a point. And yeah, I think TJ Power played the most, right? Ryan Young only played four minutes. Sean Stewart played oh. just under four minutes. Te- hold on. Technically, Tyrese Proctor's off the bench. <laughs> no, no, no. I said bigs off the bench. Our bigs, oh, bigs. Off- gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, our bigs off the bench. But it, it, again. Our, our bench, when we talk about, hey, we have this extended bench, it means nothing if, if guys are going to come off the bench and not contribute. And that has been super inconsistent. I think we had 34 points off the bench against Queens. We had, what, nine? Uh, what, what, I'm sorry, 12. Whichever, uh, uh, however many points that Tyrese Proctor ended up with, and Jalen Blake's had two. Like, it, it's not, um, for me, the bigs are, are important because if Flip, again, if Flip's going to continue to have foul trouble or teams are going to try and focus on getting him out the game early, they're not going to do that if the guy coming off the bench is going to be just as productive. We've seen that in the hockey shifts from Ryan Young. We didn't necessarily see that last night because, once again, he got into foul trouble. But from Ty- from uh, TJ Power, from Sean Stewart, one of them needs to emerge as that other guy that we can bring to off the bench because otherwise, as the season goes on, we're we're gonna have a shorter bench because if we can't rely on those guys yeah. being productive off the bench, then they're not gonna get much playing time, if if any. So those are the things that and for TJ Power, I'll say the efficiencies he has on defense, I'm sure they're working on this in practice. But footwork can be a cheat code to that. He just needs to improve his footwork because that can make up some ground. He's not gonna go from you know being the slowest guy on the team to Usain Bolt, ladies and gentlemen. That's not gonna happen. But the footwork can get you to cover more ground without being quicker. And if you think about it, even the best, the fastest guys in the world, they work on their footwork because it makes them that much faster. That That's how the, that's how the Usain Bolt set records in, in, in track. I ran track, you know, in, in high school, I wasn't the fastest dude. I was pretty fast, but I made up for it also by having great footwork and great technique. Those are things that he's going to be working on. That takes time. We need to be patient with him, but when he gets into the game, he needs to show us what he's learned. And, and last night, was a, another another instance of him not being ready uh, to play. Like you said, the game hasn't completely slowed down for him yet. I need I need video. I need to see video of you running track, man. I was dope. I was dope. <laughs> I was on a national track team. I got medals, man. Medals, plural. Nice. nice. I like it. I like it. All right, I think we're done with the bad. You got anything else? No, we're nope. good? All right, we're good with the bad. Let's get to the play of the game. What you got, Donald? I, I Like I said, I mentioned one that I was the play of the game until that point, until it wasn't. This is the play of the game for me. Second half, there's a wild rebound. Mark Mitchell goes up for it. He, he kind of starts to grab it, and then a Syracuse guy pokes it out of his hands. The Syracuse guy tries to throw it off of him on the out of bounds, and Mark Mitchell's on the ground. He kind of throws it to try and you know throw it off of Mitchell, and it gets trapped underneath Mitchell while he's on the floor. Mitchell picks it up, throws it to Flip. Flip throws it 30 feet to Roach down the court. 
Roach does a cross-court pass 30 feet to Proctor for the three-pointer without the ball touching the ground. Beautiful. Perfect. Put it in the Louvre. Uh, put it in the Louvre. I like that. <laughs> the best part about that play, by the way, was that Mark Mitchell began the whole thing from his ass. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he was on the ground, and like, like the ball got trapped underneath his legs, and he yeah. just kind of picked it up and said, flip, you do that. And, and we talk about, I mean, look, ladies and gentlemen, every single team, from middle school up to the pros does this drill where they do the length of the court and they do basket. We, we call it basket weaving where they pass the ball to each other for a layup and the ball never touched the ground. The ball touches the ground. You got to start all over. That was the quintessential. That's what these players are meant for to be able to find teammates. The ball travels faster than, than, than people do. I just talked about Usain Bolt. I can throw a basketball faster than Usain Bolt can run every single time that ball the way that was able to do that, Syracuse went from, hey, I'm going to grab this ball. It's going to be a loose scramble, and we're going to get two easy points out of it, to giving up a three. And I think right after that, they you called the timeout, or they probably should have, because that's where the, the game kind of turned on its head. That play right there, I thought, was pivotal for making Syracuse understand that this was not their game to win. All right, man. I, I, I thought that was a real contender. I had that on my list, but I'm going to go with a different play as my play of the game, and it comes from the first half. Tyrese Proctor, with about six minutes to go in the first half, went in the lane and like did like a little drop-off behind his back kind of pass thing to Mark Mitchell for a slam dunk. Mm -hmm. I, I had to, on my DVR, I had to back that play up and watch it three different times because I kept on trying to, I'm like, how did Tyrese Proctor, where did that, where'd the pass come from? How did he do that? <laughs> it was, I... I I, I just couldn't even, I couldn't even see it. Even on replay, I was like, where, how the ball's in front of him and suddenly it's behind him. I don't know how he did it to this moment. It was, you know, Tyrese Proctor has an NBA future. I think a lot of that NBA future is NBA scouts watching plays like that and just being like, this man is a wizard with the ball in his hands. And, and I, I love that play. Look, you know, there, we, we talked about some of these plays in the second half involving some, some great passing, but I just thought that pass from Tyrese Proctor in the first half was just, that was off the chain. That was fun. I liked that one. Yeah. All right. With that, we're wrapping it up here. Episode five, seven, seven of the DBR podcast. We'll be back in your feed very, very soon. Duke has a big game this weekend at Notre Dame. You know, Donald, this Duke team does not have a true road game yet. Sorry. They don't have a true road win yet. And this is a chance for a true road win at Notre Dame, a team that has struggled so far in the ACC. We'll be in your feed talking about that game in the next day or so. Until then, he's Donald. I'm Jason. Here's the Duke Band. Play us out and take us home.